0: Connor's a professional rugby player who represented Ireland, right through from under-18s, under-19s, under-20s, played for Ulster, uh, as well as uh, a number of other clubs, which we'll come to in a second. So it's only part of the reason, his rugby career, why I reached out to him to come on the podcast, and he's very kindly joining me this evening. So, uh, Connor, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, it's it's so good because uh, I said to you before we started rec- recording that I wanted to have a chat with you because I've seen the the class work that you're doing about uh, mental health with your business. And I'm really keen uh, to talk to you about how you balance that with with the other interests and stuff you have going on, and how you've how you've done that and sacrificed sort of free time to pursue yeah. something really meaningful over the last few while.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh... For me, I, mean, I started when I was when I was with Ulster about, about four years ago. Um, we were my brother actually, uh, but I suppose going into it now, it, it was it wasn't really anything really. We both went to Queen's Belfast, um, and we were going through like a entrepreneurship uh, program which they were running. And it's a, to be honest, they were really really good and supportive. I mean, it wasn't really going anywhere. We wanted to link mental health and sport, and at the time, it was concussion as well because I mean that is another. Another, another um, topic that we could go into, but yeah, yeah, we we're linking the all three together. And we thought, you know what, let's try and um, just focus on mental health and sport, something we're both quite passionate about. Um, and it wasn't really going anywhere, really. It was just, it was just because in sport in general, from just from a young age, you have that ma- macho kind of environment that you're, and you have to be tough and you have to be strong and you have to always improve. And that that's kind of put up on you in, when you're going through the age grade stuff. Um, and we both kind of str- both kind of struggled through it, even though probably on the outside it looked like everything was fine. Um, but especially my brother, who kind of through university struggled with um, his depression, and it came to one Christmas really. And uh, I think I made it a like a backhanded dig as brothers do. And I remember him going up to go. We were back home actually in Solihull, and he, back, he went ran up the stairs and like locked himself in the bathroom, didn't come out for ages. And I was like, well, that's not that's a bit of an overreaction I thought in my head, but that was the kind of the, the catalyst. Then he kind of said, look, I've been really struggling with something um, over the last, over the last while. And it's, it's been on my mind a lot. And, you know, I've, obviously can see I've gained a lot of weight and, and, you know, not taking care of myself and see, you know, I'm not looking after my, my body and stuff. And that was the catalyst, I think just to him to open up about his own struggles and what he's been going through. And yeah. the two honest Queens are brilliant. The services they offer, for students, um, for the mental health services, there It've been brilliant. I, I there were several times I tried to set up um, counselling sessions for him. And I mean, there's, I mean, he must he didn't go to about three or four of the ones that were set up, but eventually he went to one, which then helped helped him get on track to where he needed to to improve. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah. With, with regards to Noggin, it was it, it wasn't really anything really. We kind of we weren't really pushing it at all, and it was it was one without talking. To, I feel like I'm talking quite a lot here, but.
0: No, no, no. It's, it's great. It's great giving me a bit of background about it and, and people people want to know about uh because it's, it's been really successful, like you say, it, quite a lot over social media and stuff like that. But tell me a bit more about, well, we'll cover this a wee bit more about sort of where you're taking it and, and stuff like that. But tell me a bit more about your brother as well. And like, I know he's, he's in this rugby as well. He's a rugby player. And um, uh, for the two of you to... Uh, and there's a bit of an age gap, isn't there? Like how how, how much of a gap is there between the two? Uh, four years, right? Okay, so four years, but obviously pretty close. Do you know? Like if you're willing to go into business together and and do this project, um, and also do you know, um, to look out for them in that way is is great. Like um, for a play for doing that, and uh, in in terms of then, um, you, you say he sort of went to council and stuff like that, and then. In terms of his own rugby career, like how did that affect him? Uh maybe you don't want to speak too much on his behalf, but also yeah. give us a bit of an insight to both of you, and like how how that affected other aspects of your life having to having the battle uh through this on behalf of your brother and, and for your brother himself.
1: Um yeah, I mean my brother was was going through the the Ulster age grade stuff at the time as well, um, and didn't didn't make it through to the Ulster Ulster um squads or anything like that, but it was just that. I think I don't, as you said, I don't want to speak on behalf of him, but he'll have no problem with me saying this. I think that that uh, environment that you're in, a professional sport, and especially as a young young guy who maybe doesn't have the tools available to to deal with the um, ups and downs of it, the rejections, the injuries, all that kind of thing, like all of that as, as a young person, when you think it's the be all and end all, you think this is I'm my success in life is based on whether or not I can get into this squad or play this game. Um, it's tough, you know, and. He then, after that, went on to we went on to play for Connacht. Then had a great, you know, loved every minute of it there. And maybe had his experiences with Ulster probably helped him with his, with uh when he's at Connacht and on the, in the West of Ireland. So, you know, you have to look at it like that as well. I think now he's over in Seattle. Uh, he plays it for Seattle SeaWolves in the MLR, and he's loving it over there. So, yeah. you know, and also it's important. To like I think especially with Ulster, like. I always found this when I was there, when you're in in it and it's such a small place, you think it's the be all and end all. And like as a young guy, you think it's so many guys that are talented rugby players I was playing with. And you think, you know, just because you don't make it with all there's so many opportunities to play rugby and you like there's so many good players I've looked at, like, and I think, why would you not go and play overseas or, you know, try something different if you're that passionate about rugby? Um and I, you know, but yeah, so that's that's come up with brother story. And I think I haven't really touched on it much with the business, but one of the primary um, drivers for us, my my uncle um, took his own life basically very early on uh, when we started the business and that that was a big driver for us. We don't really talk about it much just because suicide in general is, is such a taboo topic to talk about, you know, and... Um, yeah, as I said, it's it's a it was a massive driver at the time for us to really push it hard, and especially for for men and the way we we, don't, we kind of bottle up our feelings. And I don't want that to ever to happen to someone. If we can contribute in some way and create make a difference to someone's one person's life, then you know I'm, yeah. I'm really happy about that.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things. I suppose uh, the trauma in a family when that happens, uh, it's so it's so. Uh, so massive that people can't really talk about it or, or feel um un, unable to articulate what it's done to the family and um it's it's so important particularly i suppose the majority of people who listen to this podcast and a lot of people are in the room in general they're men and men aren't the best at, at sort of saying if there's something wrong which again we, we can we can touch on a wee bit later but um no that's uh it's one of those things obviously it, it's it's been a quiet driving force do you know what you're saying about your uncle well, that's uh something which both both you and your brother have obviously had uh in your mind as motivation uh to 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 take this um project to the next level And i, I do want to talk uh a, a wee bit later about sort of what your aims are with that and, and um uh, because it has it has really taken off, and it's because there's. Um, I think it's it's more in the sort of public consciousness now, particularly among men, about about dealing with mental health. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll return to that. But I suppose I want to give uh, Ulster fans who are listening to the podcast a bit of context. Like, um, people remember you at Ulster, and you're there for years. And um, at a, I suppose you came you came through the squad, and you actually. Um, well, I, want, I want to take you back to the very start. So you held a, a record for a period of time. As far as I know, you might still hold that record. Do you know what the record is I'm talking about? Yeah, my mates are with all the time. I think it was, uh, well, I think it was the youngest Ulster player for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think um, not only the youngest Ulster player, but the, the, whenever uh, I was sort of looking, researching for the interview, came up, Connor made his Ulster debut in a Boxing Day trip to Leinster in 2011, which made him the youngest player ever to represent an Irish province in the league. Okay, so oh, yeah. the youngest player ever to represent an Irish province in the league. Now that's an impressive feat, and I I, I remember you coming through through the ranks, and um, as the, as will many people. Now it's a really difficult question to answer uh, about sort of your potential as you're coming through, right? So you played um where we've talked before and a bit of banter about the fact you you're as, as you may have guessed from listening to connor so far uh he's from england okay <laughs> but i ended up playing for ireland so everyone's gonna turn off now mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah no i'm not, hold- not holding it against you because you eventually made the right call and you yeah, switched, okay. switched to the allegiance yeah. and, and and that was uh well you can explain more, more why that happened. So you started off in England, then why did you make the, the call to uh, change over to Ireland for under-18s and so on? Yeah. Um, I, th- I guess my, my family's from the west of Ireland, really. So
1: um, my family's from all over the place, really, but Galway, Limerick, um, Cavern as well. So I kind of grew up in a family where if, if Ireland were playing England in in sport, I'd I'd always support Ireland, and that's just the way it was. Do you know what I mean? It was just, especially in Birmingham, there's a very there's a very um, there was anyway a very strong Irish community here, Um when it you know when a lot of Irish people moved over to Birmingham, so growing up around that, that was just a, a driving factor, and I always wanted to to play for Ireland. You know, I always did, and obviously it, when I was playing the, the underage stuff with England, uh, there wasn't there wasn't an opportunity to play for Ireland under under sixteen level. But as soon as i um had the opportunity to go over to to uh ulster and and go to the ulster academy i jumped at the chance because at the time you know there's opportunities to go I'd, i was talking to leicester tigers at, at the same time and i was like you know my kind of i'm getting pulled to go and have the opportunity to play to play over in belfast and experience that because that's what i want that's what i wanted to do you know
0: yeah yeah and coming through the ranks again like you're always identified as um like uh, a rise in talent through the ranks what and this is to avoid the awkwardness of saying like how much potential do you think you had I'm going to ask you what did coaches teammates etc what did they tell you about the potential that you had coming through the ranks
1: um, not not too much mate you know it was just I think it's just one of those things I think um, I mean looking back at it now man I think it, I, I was probably t- you talking about that stat there about the youngest ever player. I, I think for me, looking back at it, I don't think I was even ready for for that. Um, but I think it was just one of those things. We had a few injuries, and it was like, "I'll oh, give this young guy a go." But um, yeah, I mean, I remember got, we were playing it. I was playing it like Gordon Darcy and stuff. Like, I <laughs> I used to play Xbox, and we were playing with Gordon Darcy on the on the Rubio Eight or whatever. And I was like, "This is unbelievable!" And I was playing against him the same day. I was like, "This is incredible." But is um, cool. yeah, you don't have. I just don't think I was probably ready for that I, I think you didn't even mention the score there I think we got hammered day. <laughs> I left that out conveniently was, I did you a favour yeah, like Boxing <laughs> Day massacre, I think or the Silence of the Lambs or something like that Oh
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay, that's class so to get to get a debut that young and I know those away trips are it, it can be a baptism of fire but to be to be thrown in their shoes that there's a level of faith in your ability and um, I want to sort of uh, hear a wee bit about what it was like stepping into that senior squad. So coming through at a time when it would have been this. Who Stephen Ferris would have been your yeah. primi- primarily a six. Mm-hmm. Ferris sort of had that position nailed down for yeah. for Ulster and Ireland and and uh, do you know that's a really difficult environment to come into. So what. Was the, uh, What was the environment like? Was the atmosphere one of like ruthless competition or was it, right, I'll put, my, put me on around this young lad coming through and try and make him a better player? What was it like?
1: Um, I think the environment. I mean, look, the players back then, I, look, I remember being in the, in the dressing room thinking like, is it these guys, Stephen Ferris, someone who in the prime of his career back then, do you know what I mean? Like he was incredible and he was for so long um, and he was someone I looked up to so much as a player. Um and even Chris Chris Henry was there, Nick Williams towards towards the end of my time there. And Robbie Dayak Johan Muller, like these guys were like international players who who were so good at um putting an arm around you and giving you so many I've learned so much from them from those guys during my career. Um but it wasn't it wasn't really like that where you know it was really competitive environment. It was very it's a really good group of, of guys. Um I know they were a bit older, I was a very young compared to them, but you got you got the feeling they were you know they're, they're good people. You know, what I mean, you, you want to be surrounded by good people. I think you can create a very good team with good people as well. They want to work hard for each other, but and they, they were very successful as well in those years. So it was also always very hard for me to then to kick on. I think because they were doing so well, they were getting to finals. They were they were getting they were doing really well in the in the European um, Cup as well. So that was a challenge. I think for me as, as a young player, it was frustrating. Um, and make no bones about it, it was really frustrating. But with a lot of different coaches during that period as well, which probably didn't help. Um, you know, I think one stage with like four coaches within five years. So maybe one coach, you're, what's the phrase? You're another man's, one man's treasure, another man's, one man's trash and another man's treasure. Or yeah. Like that, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed my time there. I loved, some, I loved it uh, so much. Made some amazing friends and the guys that are currently in the squad doing so well. Um, some of my closest friends, you know, so it's great to see the team doing so well at the moment and so many young players coming through. But necessarily, when I was, I um, was, when i was there I, I didn't feel like that was that was the case uh, to the point I think I got my first cap and then, it, it, you know, it was very hard to get ahead of those, get ahead of yeah. really experienced players where now it's a bit different. The younger players are kind of really pushing on and, and getting more game time, you know?
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. So I think there's, um it's a debate which always goes on. It's whether you bring in these world-class players to Ulster, right? So you, you go around, you bring uh, the likes of Muller and Pinar and Vandenberg and Nafua and it, it, sometimes the perception is that holds holds guys back. What do you think? I suppose that was on the, the other hand though, that was Ulster's, I suppose, most successful period in the sense oh, yeah. that we we got to a final and you know um in the, the year before it would have been you broke in around 2013 was it or 20 oh, yeah. Yeah. Right on, yeah. Um and, and it was a successful time but would you say would you prefer you know in terms of Ulster's uh, uh in terms of a club and being sustainable and growing, would you prefer to stick with young guys uh, who are produced in the province, or or coming through the system?
1: Yeah, I mean that's what I think now. I think they've done so well. I think you've got guys like the team now is pretty much the whole team is um is young Ulster Ulster guys or Irish players, mm-hmm. and that's that's brilliant to see. Where necessarily that that era of players, they're almost like superstars. You're talking about, I even forgot about Jonathan How how good he was as a player. Yeah. You know, and and uh, Tom Cor and Ru and Piena are like absolute world class. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, but that that necessarily wasn't isn't what they're doing now. And I think that's why they're, they're so they're going to be. I think they're going to be successful the next five years. Mm. Though if they keep that cohort of players, they're going to be real hard to beat. Yeah, um, and also you, you've got the like when I was going through, all some of the guys that I was there with are now kind of the leaders mm. in the team, um, and all those younger players that are coming through. Really look up to those players.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's just interesting though, because I suppose, yeah, you have to have that balance of guys you you have the likes of Ray Mullen coming in, and you, you go, that's he's a world-class player, but then you've got the likes of David McCann or uh, Azar Allison, who are sort of waiting in the wings to come in, but um yeah, I think I think it's striking that balance. And so maybe ask you a bit more about Ulster and, and sort of hopes and expectations uh, towards the end. But um no, I'm just curious, you're sort of talking there about like other players you came through with um through the ranks. So you've got like under eighteens, you would have played with uh, some cracker players and actually captained them at under 20 levels. So you were uh, you were sort of viewed as and uh, and certainly um you were you were Uh, an awesome player coming through the ranks tell me more about what makes a difference between someone who is a class player when they're young and someone who makes it at the very top level in rugby Um, tough
1: question Uh, probably I'd say looking at the players who have made who had that breakthrough and then kind of kicked on and and gone on to better things. I think it's confidence. I remember like I remember when um when Hendy was coming through and Henderson was coming through and he, he was performances of, as a young man like absolutely smashing out of the park. Jacob Stockton, another guy like absolute world beater when he first came on the scene. And I think a lot of it is to do with confidence in yourself. That like, these guys must have an inner um confidence about themselves. You look at in football like someone like obviously a Birmingham player Jack Grealish for example, the confidence of that guy—he like does it, He knows it in himself that he's going to be the star player on the pitch. And I think a lot—it doesn't matter what age he is—he just knows that in himself. And I think that inner ability, inner confidence in yourself to know that whatever I do, I, I'm, I've done the work, I've got the talent, I'm going to have a great game here and be and be man of the match or you know whatever that kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and and when you were a player, putting it back a wee bit on you coming through, like what was your attitude? when you stepped in, I suppose you're you're playing at a very high level rugby. What was your attitude when you stepped into that squad? Was it, I'm going to displace Ferris? As, As much of a superstar as he is, was that? Did that have to be your attitude when you came in? You're like, I'm going to push this guy all the way and train, yeah. I'm, I'm going, to get stuck into him. It's
1: a tough. It's a tough. I mean, I, as a, if you speak to other players when I was there, I, was, I as a redhead, I was always called Big Red because I was always like angry and fighting and stuff like that. And that was, I suppose, uh, you do have that. You do want to take. You have to have that ability to be like, I want, to, I want to get ahead of this guy. Of course, you do. to wouldn't be there. What's the point of even being there if you're not? If you don't think like that. But there is that doubt in your mind. Of course, you know that. That feeling in your head where you're thinking, am I ever going to be better than him? Am I ever going to play well or is am I going to have a bad game? And that's always in the back of your head. And I think I, I always wonder about the guys that, uh, those guys I mentioned, like Jacob and and Hendy, Are they do they ever think like that? Or is it just, they? you know what I mean? Like, it's really interesting, the psychology behind a yeah. professional athlete like that. What's going on? They just they aren't thinking about that. But for me, I I did have that in my head. I I was very much, um, maybe a bit of an overthinker. I think I am quite Mm -hmm. an overthinker. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I would love to go into the the details of someone's mind of what makes someone like a Michael Jordan. You obviously watch that, the series, um, The Last Dance. You see the the way he speaks about uh, how competitive he is and his training and everything like that. And you think this guy's on a different level compared to everyone else, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you, you wonder if he has those small moments of doubt when he's in a quiet moment by himself and he's thinking, oh, I'm going to miss this free throw Or Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, an interesting yeah. one, isn't
0: that- it? I know, it's a, it's a strange one. I suppose there's that whole thing. Again, having, having spoken to different players, including like Sufairis and uh, Cooney, Cooney's big into um, sort of... Um, using every every means available to enhance his performance to lose small percentages that he can yeah. add to his game and it's really interesting speaking to different people and their perspective on that and how they treat nerves like some people they interpret nerves as excitement so they get excited for the big occasion some people I suppose you need the nerves people I've talked to have have said, you know, they felt sick, like they felt like in before going on the pitch, because it's such yeah, yeah. uh it's such a, a nerve-wracking thing to have to do. But um, we talked a wee bit there um about sort of coming through the ranks. You captained uh, at under 20s level. Um you uh, the, the way that you conduct yourself on the pitch as well, do you know, in terms of being vocal, being quite abrasive and um, being one of those players, I suppose, that, that tries to lead, lead by example. I want to ask you a wee bit about leadership, and um, I noticed in another sort of interview, they talking about Roy Keane, and that's something I wanted to ask you a wee bit about. Do you know, yeah. it, I noticed it because you're not from Manchester, and also I, I love Roy Keane as well, so I, yeah, want, yeah. I want to hear a wee bit about your take on leadership. What attracts you to leadership? Is that something that comes naturally or something you've worked on? Um,
1: probably something I, I've worked on. To be honest with you, I think in general I, w- I wouldn't be a, a, a person who's going to be uh, screaming and shouting that that kind of thing. Um, I, I'd very much be like if if I'm if I'm speaking about a topic, I want, I have a reason to be speaking about a topic. I don't just speak for the sake of it. Whereas I think uh, some people people have done many different leadership styles. I think now going into um doing a bit of coaching on the side, I think I'm now working with a lot of a uh, uh, women's rugby team. So from a development kind of stage. These girls look at; they don't have the confidence in themselves as a as a player. Maybe not necessarily they're very nervous for games that sort of thing. And they probably look up to the coach uh, for as a leader in 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 some ways to give them some confidence and to know they're going to be okay and they're going to have a good game. Um, as as a player, as, as you said, I think um, I was very much like a lead by example type of type of guy. I think as I said, when I when I speak, I only speak for when I feel like it's necessary. Um, because then there's, this, there's so many people getting, there's so many words and it gets, the, the message almost gets diluted a little bit when there's so many things being talked about. Um, but yeah. Yeah. But Roy, Roy Keane, sorry, as well. I am a huge fan of Roy Keane. I think uh, he's very controversial, um, and I, but I just love, I love his attitude to everything. He's, he's very much like old school way of thinking, but you, everything he says, I'm like, yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with it, yeah. And I love what,
0: you know, yeah he's very convincing isn't he when he speaks he speaks with such certainty and he just gets you on board so yeah um
1: i watched i watched this uh i don't know if you've seen the gary neville where gary neville does like 20 there's like questions with roerke and it's walking through the park walking their dogs and they're just reminiscing about all the times that united together and, and just every time gary neville will ask a question you just stare at him and be like what why would you say that i like, would ask him like what are you doing asking me that for and <laughs> Gary Neville's almost like he's like his big brother kind of the way he looks up to Holy King, you know what I mean? You
0: know? <laughs> Absolutely. I actually had a I actually went to see Gary Neville on Tuesday night there in Belfast. Yeah. He was doing a, a sort of a question and answer thing. Um, in the in the waterfront in Belfast and uh, it is funny like you're talking about that because he was talking about Roy Keane and he's just in such awe of Keane do you know then yeah, their yeah. they're, they're peers do you know they came through Keane's a bit older but it's, it's just funny like Keane is he just exudes uh, sort of that charisma that leaders have do you know and yeah, yeah. it comes naturally to some people Is that thing with uh, you know Vieira in the tunnel and
1: he's asked, like, I'll see you <laughs> I'll see you because he's picking on Gary Neville yeah. Oh, Absolutely. so it, is. Iconic, so it mate. is. iconic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, completely. So, are you? Are you a what? Are you a Villa
1: fan or a Birmingham yeah, fan? I'm or? a Villa fan. Yeah. So, Grealish leaving us this uh, last season was uh, was tough to take, but um, <laughs> they're doing. Really, obviously, Gerard coming in now. It's it's been unbelievable for us, and he's made some great signings. So, I've been actually been now. I'm back in Birmingham We've been to a few games because nice. my cousins are season ticket holder So, brilliant. They're very hard to get. The tickets are
0: very hard to get. Football over here is so popular at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure just because uh, with, with lockdown and everything, people have been missing that. Like, um, yeah. But yeah, um, I just want to return to talk a wee bit about, so um, you're at Ulster, you were there, I think it was five seasons, and we were coming through the ranks, but then it stayed a bit longer, and then came the, the time I was supposed to make a decision. Tell me more about that transition out of Ulster. What caused that? Was that something which you decided to do? why well, it was i think it was jersey was the next port of cause that right that uh, was your next yeah, yeah. club that you moved to why there why not somewhere in france or somewhere yeah. like i suppose you're sort of edging towards france anyway yeah, but uh, <laughs> but tell me more about moving out of ulster and, and what caused that
1: um i, th- I think at that stage I, I just wasn't getting the game time realistically that I, I wanted as a young player so you are the i mean this yeah, I mean, as I said, there's so many guys in that position that necessarily had, a, had a, a quite a few caps, and then just like don't want to play anymore. But I was never like that. I wanted to keep playing and, and extend my career. So, um, yeah, an opportunity, an opportunity came up with Jersey. Um, so before that, actually, I I wanted to finish my degree at Queens was a major factor. If I'm being totally honest, I had maybe like I had a year left, and I wanted to leave anyway. So I wanted to make sure I completed that uh, before I moved on. But an opportunity came up with Jersey to to go into the championship and uh, you know, it's a, it's a very, very attritional league. I never really realised at the time, I thought it was just going to be, a, you go in um, and it's, it's a breeze, but the the contacts, I, I felt like it's not as quick as the way I was playing when I was with Ulster, but it's it's really full on and very forward dominant, which, you know, gave me a lot of um, learning and I, I feel like it made me a better player, if I'm honest. Mm. But I enjoyed I enjoy my time there, it, it was a great experience and I couldn't recommend it um, enough for anyone.
0: Yeah, and tell me, tell me then about what's brought you to to where you are now in your career, where you you've moved into a bit the coaching. But um, yeah, talk me, talk me through sort of that that, that again transition from Jersey to to Doncaster, and um, and and now with with the coaching as well. Tell me how that all came about and how how you decided like coaching was for you. I mean, I've I've coached all the way
1: through. So when I was with All-Star, I coached um, Malone Ladies team. When I was with Jersey, I coached um Jersey women's team as well. And now I'm coaching over, over here. But when I was with Doncaster and um, I finished in May uh there and we had a really good season, great bunch of players. Um and they're doing really well this season, they're top of the league as well in the championship. So but when I in May when we finished my I moved back home because my mom wasn't very well, um, and she um had a, she was going through some tough, tough battle with cancer, and she ended up passing away in September. Um but that's kind of why i'm my story if i'm honest and why i'm back where i am and and coaching um if i'm really honest with you i think it gave me you gave me such a good outlet in a time it's probably the darkest time of my life if i have being honest the last the last four months have been really really hard for me the, the toughest it's ever been um and i wouldn't want anyone to go through that but it's it's kind of um, i feel like it's made me a lot stronger as a person and coaching has definitely given me something to focus on and just be like i can go to, i can go to coaching uh for two two hours you know and just focus on that and and it it helped me in a weird way it helped me grieve quite a bit just to be around positive people and I had to I couldn't be there being really upset and moping around the place I had to be this as I said earlier like a leader and help help these young these young women out and help them understand the game um and it's something I'm passionate about as well like you know it's so fulfilling especially coaching women for some reason they soak up the information so so quickly and I've really it's really really helped me being around in a around a club environment as well and being around positive people when it's been a tough few months. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um I wanna want to explore that a wee bit more in terms of um what what sport means to you, what rugby means to you and how I suppose some people think the sport has being it's just a game, it's just rugby. Like uh and in one sense it is do you know it's it's entertainment for fans. It's uh it's chasing chasing a bag of air around the pitch why is it why is it more than that you, you touched all it there but it transcends being merely a hobby or pastime mm-hmm. into something which is something which has real meaning and it, it can help people i suppose life, life not not the not not to not try and answer the question for you but i suppose life is about you know uh it, it, it is about the stuff that sport can bring you. Do you know, not necessarily sport, but those moments of joy, yeah. m- meaning. Tell me a bit more about that and y- your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think
1: you you bang on, mate. I think uh, it is about that. It's about the, the sense of community you get in, in sport and, you know, being part of something where it's difficult. It's a, especially rugby. It's a really difficult, challenging sport. If you, no matter if you've played it, if you haven't played it, it is really difficult and that's what brings people together. The sense of, um, we're in this together, sense of community. involved having a beer with the opposition that sort of thing the social aspect of it the 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 challenging fitness aspect of it, the physicality of it it's amazing i think my sister who who has never played sport before at all like, and she was she was a sports journalist as well worked for months to rugby scottish rugby but never played rugby at all and she just took it up about when i started as well and it's been amazing for her like she's a completely different person and i'll use her as an example like you you join a rugby club um, having not know anyone and you automatically have these friends and then that grows every time you go to training, every time you go to a match and play together, that grows again. And you, all, you have these friendships that are, are so strong. Um, it's, an inc- it's an incredible uh, thing to be involved in. And I think even though the guys at Ulster who I, haven't, I haven't seen in, in, a, in a while, I've been to a few of their weddings and I catch up every now and then. I know that those bonds that you have on the rugby field, they then transcend into into normal life and you'll
0: never forget those people i think that that's really special yeah you've been through something together and mm-hmm. um i suppose you've had uh, the opportunity uh, to talk with people about sort of the the benefit that sports uh, can bring um what would, what would your advice be and this might be a, a tricky question and one which is really hard to answer generally without any specifics but Say if uh, if you're talking to say someone in a in a big club, um, your typical man maybe a bit reluctant to talk about things that are going on, yeah. reluctant to talk about feelings and stuff like that. What would be your advice to someone like that? How do you get around those people? Maybe you suspect something's not quite right. What would be your, your advice to uh, to speak to people in that situation, or is there anything you can do like through sport that c- can help in that situation?
1: Yeah, I think I, I've been in that situation quite a bit myself. Um, obviously, played with a number of different clubs, and it, it, it's it's a tricky one because you know that that person, for example, probably won't re- reach out unless they're unless they, until they're ready. Um, but you, all you can do is, is be there for them when, when they really need you, um, and be ready to listen when when they're ready. Because if someone's not ready to talk and not ready to open up, it's going to make the situation. If you're trying to, ag- ag- to antagonize, antagonize them, mm-hmm. so. It's, um, it's one of those, I think you have to be patient and just just make sure you're there for them when they're ready to open up and have that conversation. Um, but I, as you said, I think it's important to look for the signs that maybe this, as I mentioned about my brother earlier, that you can, you can you know, signs that that person is not doing so well. They may be um, isolating themselves from the group or maybe not taking care of themselves as they probably should do or um, maybe being a bit more distant than they usually usually are. Um and as, as, you, as you mentioned, just asking them if they're, if they're okay. Simple thing like that can, can be one of those things that can can spark conversation that could change someone's life. Um, and that's what sport in general, rugby clubs um, have the power to reach so many different people and help so many people in so many different
0: ways. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, um, <sighs> I suppose yeah, there's there's um, the community aspect of it. There's also the physical side of it and the discipline as well. I suppose in terms of uh, get you out of the house sometimes yeah. when you're you're feeling rubbish, the last thing you want to do is go out to training. But a group of guys are relying on you is that yeah. that part of it as well? Do you think?
1: Yeah, massively. I think in general, like you always, say if you go for do you go to the gym for example, or you go to training, you're like oh, I actually can't be bothered to go tonight. And nine times out of 10, you have a good session, you meet meeting your pals and, you, and you're having the crack and you're thinking, you come out thinking, I'm so glad I went, I went there today. Not many times you go and you're thinking, I don't, I'm, I can't be arsed. And then you go and think, yeah, I still, I can't, I can't wish I, wish I didn't, never did that. It's always <laughs> yeah. the first one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So just release of those endorphins and get yourself out of the house, especially the the year we've had, yeah. it's two years we've had. I know, you know, it's, it's, like, it's, it's been, um, it's been wild, is not it? But. Yeah, yeah, it's important to get out and get moving. You feel better about yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about the, the past two years, but even more generally, I want to ask you a wee bit about how... And that's the last two years have changed all of our sp- perspectives, you know, on 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 life. And I suppose there's a bit more gratitude for stuff that you w- would have taken for granted before, like like going out of the house, going yeah. <laughs> going and playing a game of rugby, or watching rugby. Yeah. Um, tell me about how your perspective has changed over the years of rugby. So, uh, what I'm getting at here is, you know, a lot of young players come through, and um, even guys I've spoken to, they sort of said, like rugby's, I've got. Rugby is the be-all and end-all. I put all my eggs in that basket. And the more, I suppose with age, people seem to mellow a bit in terms of they still want to be a great player, but they actually they actually appreciate that rugby is part of their life. It's not their whole life. And... Uh, you have to balance that with other things in your life is that true for you do you know as suppose you're still rugby is a huge part of your life but to what extent has your your perspective changed over the years and uh and but have you had the balance rugby with other things
1: um definitely i think i've, I've you know, well i hope i've mellowed out a little bit um because i was a bit of a psycho I was, but yeah uh yeah, I think it, it definitely changed your perspective on things. I think it has to because it has to come to a point where you're thinking what's my next step and I feel for me it, it, I'm at that stage in my life where I'm thinking especially what's happened with with my mom. Uh, I feel like I need to go and do something or it's just a, I feel this in my career I've had this career or and I want to see what's the next thing for me um, but as you, as you mentioned I think when you're a young player you think this is the be all and end all and you, you some guys just put all their eggs in that one basket and it and it works out for them but Ultimately, you've still got, you know, realistically to play till you're 30 or 32, whatever, you know, that's that's good going to play at that age, We have to think what's what's after that. Um and I was always, if I'm honest, I was always always thinking like that. Um and yeah, and I think it's it's important too. I think you have to realise what, what what's your ambitions in life as well. Because you can't be a rugby player for your whole life. It's a very short time. It could be over you could have an injury, you could, you could not get picked for a squad or you know, that sort of that sort of way. So it's you have to be you don't want to be looking behind you, but you also need, you need to be looking what's in front of you as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and uh, speaking of not looking behind you, I want, I want you to do a wee bit of, of looking in retrospect and uh, you look back in your career. Like, do you have any regrets? Do you sometimes wish you'd maybe taken a di- different step? And I ask that of everyone, do you know, because some even, I suppose, um, uh, whenever you're coming maybe towards the end of a career in, in a sport it's so difficult to know did you make the right moves throughout is there anything that you would have wanted to do differently to to have uh, improved or or had different experiences in your career whenever you look back do you have any regrets or is that not something that you you, you find particularly useful
1: um potentially yeah i think it's uh i think when you look back i'm like i'll be honest i my, my me as a person has changed so much, even a year ago to where I am now. And look back at myself when I was, you know, five years ago, a completely different person. And I think the decisions you make then, there may or may not be the decisions you make now, but at the time you were a different person or, you know, your circumstances completely different. So I look back, I don't. I wouldn't say I have any regrets. I think I, looking back at uh, what my brother's up to in America, maybe the grass was green. I would have loved to experience that because um, I think it's really going to take off over there. And I was over two weeks ago visiting him. I watched three of the games. You know, I think it would have been a great experience for me towards the end of my career. But um, potentially that might that may still happen. But um, that's something I'm really interested in too because I just think it's, it's got such a potential over there to to grow as a sport. Um, if you look at the amount of athletes they have, and uh, yeah, that's probably that's probably about it. Really, I think as you said, it's not necessarily uh, beneficial to look behind you. I think that can really
0: get you down. You overthink. As a me as an overthinker, it probably isn't good for me to do that. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's just interesting. I sort of had your brother in mind there. I was thinking, how good would that be to go over and play in America for a bit? And uh, very few careers present that opportunity. So that sounds that sounds cool. And as you say, America is an interesting one. The amount of athletes in American football, in particular, you think of the sort of guys who who maybe play throughout American football throughout school and maybe don't make it the whole way. Yeah, they're unbelievable athletes who who could slot into a big team, no bowler It's maybe really just uh, it's yeah. not it's not a big it's not as big as it could be there. Well, he was telling me about a story about this. Um,
1: There's an NFL guy played for the Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks, and he came out to try. He won a Super Bowl. This guy, and he was he was a tight end, so he's a big dude. about six six, like 120 kilos, and was fast as well. Like, yeah. But for some reason, the there PC, just could not understand how rugby worked. The offside line couldn't yeah. get his running lines correct, like. And you'd you think they're athletes, but it, rugby, we've been playing it for a lot of us, like the UK and the Irish guys have been playing it since we were very, very young. And you maybe take that, don't take that for granted. I think uh, if you took say to us to go and play American football, yeah, I may have seen it on TV, but I wouldn't have a clue what I'm doing really. Do you know what I mean? All the little intricacies of the sport where it become, maybe
0: becomes a little bit more natural to us. Yeah, yeah. I know that's so interesting. Like it's almost surprising. Um, it don't have any. Uh, do you know their their national team is not amazing? I just thought. At this stage it would have maybe kicked on, but uh, they will. Uh, do you know, it's a bit like yeah. uh, it's a bit, a bit like uh football as well, like they'll get for soccer, as, as some people call it. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, it'll just take a wee bit of time and yeah. uh, for it to become more popular. And then the f- through sheer numbers of people, like they'll, they'll be good. Um, well, I was, I was over there watching the game, like, the spectacle that they do is, is pretty
1: impressive. They have fireworks, cheerleaders, like it's constantly so- someone's on a microphone, any break of play, music playing, like. And the fans yeah. the fans are, are crazy, the amount of energy they bring to it as well. Like because everyone in the in the UK and Ireland are pretty much like quite reserved people. Yeah. So when you sit next to someone who's got every time there's a break and play is starting chanting, getting a chant going like you see in, in the movies, you're like, yeah, this is a different <laughs> level, John. You
0: know That's the way it should be. I know yeah. I saw there was a clip, like, I think it was like a college football game and they played um Enter Sandman and the entire stadium is up and it just looks unbelievable now yeah. i have to say i find that the actual game itself is a bit stop start for me but there's certainly all the all the stuff around this class so yeah. um i'm sure your brother's having yeah. a class time out there yeah. um i was going to ask you just just sort of as we um as we finish up i was just going to ask you a wee bit more you talked at the start there about noggin but i suppose to give people a bit more context and give it a bit of a plug as well like what's what's the what's the goal so is it is it sort of funding funding mental health charities like raising money for charities and giving that out is there anything more specific um that you hope to do in the future or what's the what's the big ambition with noggin or is there one
1: yeah so as you said we're a community interest company that uh donates profits to mental health challenges across the uk and ireland so it's it's something we we're really passionate about and i think it is um, that's what we're, we're all about we're trying to promote awareness as much as we possibly can um but the the main goal is to try and reach as many people as possible i think um it's such an important message you know our experiences as well i, th- I think it's we want to try and promote the brand and also the topic as much as we possibly can to help as many people as we as we can um but kind of the long term goal we we would love to just to be involved with, with rugby clubs and sports clubs and you know as many Teams, Gaelic football clubs, the whole, every club possible, businesses, to, to create awareness of the topic as, as much as we can. Um, it's been, I mean, for me, real honestly, it's been difficult uh working on it part-time mm-hmm. because I've been playing my whole career and so has my brother. Yeah. But now, now I've had a bit of time to to reflect on where 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 we're going and and what's the next step. Um, it's the first time I've had a chance to kind of go full time with it. Yeah. So um, yeah, it, it it has been fairly successful, but I, I still feel like there's so much more we can do with, it and so many improvements we can make. Um, but I would love to see more athletes, personally speaking, about their own experiences. Um, and because re- you know, you look, you know yourself. People look up to these professional athletes, and no matter what they've done. People will think if they're speaking about mental health, that might be the conversation, or that might be the little bit of content that can change my life and make me want to speak to my mom or my dad, especially young people because they are so. Um, impressionable about all these uh, about the professional athletes, they look up to them so much, mm-hmm. and that's something I have a plan for the future to try and get more um, professional ath- athletes speaking about their own experiences, speaking about their their own struggles and uh, uh, battles with with mental health, um, and also in the professional game as well, making it more real. Mm-hmm. What it's not always um, a highlight reel as such. There's, there's also um, a sacrifice the, that comes with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and. Um, to people listening, like, Connor's uh, humble about the, you know, where he and his brother have taken this so far and there are a lot of big names involved uh, in Noggin, you know, uh, who support the cause and um, it's it's a, it's inspiring that you've been able to balance that with like, a career. You and your brother have both been able to do that. Can you tell me a wee bit more about sort of Maybe you don't see it as this, but tell me about achieving that balance and about the sacrifice involved. So other guys might finish training, they go and they chill out, or they go to I don't know what what do doing the evenings like. But uh, most yeah. of them don't sit and manage business eight. at home. <laughs> eight, eight, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so what what is that balance? How how do you achieve that? And do you view it as a sacrifice, or is it just like it's so important to you that? it doesn't feel like a work uh like doing work um i think because it's such a fulfilling uh
1: thing and because it's, a, it's something i'm very passionate about i think it, it doesn't really feel a, a, for work as, as for me at uh, least um looking back at it now if i'm really honest relationship wise i think that's where the sacrifice happens um you know my previous relationships i think obviously i'm training during the day but i come home uh to my my ex-girlfriend for example uh and you, you know, you're on your laptop all night. That that sort of stuff. That that has to be a sacrifice. It has to be a very strong person to put up with that. Um, but as a young man, I probably didn't uh I don't know, didn't really understand that as much. Um, because I was very much driven, I wanna, I wanna do this and that's what I wanna do, and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get there. Um, but of course there has to be a sacrifice. Um I I was listening to a podcast. Actually, I was actually. Do you know Steve, Stephen Bartlett? I went to his show, "The Diary of the CEO," talking a podcast.
0: Listen, listen to it regularly. It's
1: yeah. good podcast. Yeah, yeah. And he, not as good as this one. But. No, no, no. no. I'd like, this is my second favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and he was talking about his. He's obviously a very driven guy to get to get to where he is, and he was talking about sacrifice and saying in relationships um, how much he he really struggled with his partners and how much he's they they kind of have to go on his journey, and I think. That really resonated with me so much. I think partners I've had before, I have been a little bit selfish in terms of that sort of thing, and yeah. maybe um, neglected that aspect of my life. Uh, from purpose. that's that's probably the only sacrifice I, I, I would say. I think in general, something you're passionate about, something that gives you so much fulfilment, it doesn't really feel feel like work. Um, but yeah, yeah. open up. I've opened up there a bit for you, mate.
0: No, that's that's good. Uh, it's it's yeah. good to hear because. Um, with any with with any sort of level of of success and drive and motivation, something something usually sacrificed and. Um, I think it's it's inspiring, you know, that something's so important to you that you forgo sort of ordinary things that most people would, would again take for granted the, the, the chance to do whatever, like whether it be relationships or people doing stuff outside of work because it's a passion project. Sometimes you do it does require sacrifice, but it's it's important that what you do has value and meaning. And this project certainly does. Like it's inspiring um a lot of people and um it's 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 just such important work. Um, so so fair play for for doing that. And so finally, I want to ask you a wee bit about um your relationship with Ulster Rugby now. Like you obviously have fond memories of it. Um, sounds that you do keep in touch with some of the guys. But who are your sort of friends with in Ulster? Do you come back and visit, or I suppose you sign like it very? I mean, you're always a very busy man. So do you get to follow them on TV, like uh, check their progress? Yeah, I mean the last. Last
1: game I was I went to go and watch the Northampton game in the uh is it the European Cup European Cup. So I went to go and watch yeah. that. Um down because it's not too far away from me, it's about forty five minutes away. So I went to go and watch that and uh the, the, the brand of rugby they play is really special, you know. And uh I, I think Mike Lowry is my favourite player. <laughs> <He's> so <laughs> good to watch. And yeah. I, when I was there, I did, I remember he was kind of the schoolboy stuff and I remember thinking like this guy's uh, you know he's quite handy this guy. But seeing him seeing him do so well now, like He's a real, and speaking to the lads, I think he's a really nice guy as well, which is great. And I, I'm so glad he's um he, he's got cap during the Six Nations as well, and he's doing so well. He's just a really special player to watch because you don't really see that that many players is so electric like that nowadays. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the guys still there, like I, was, I lived with Alan O'Connor for my whole time really when I was at Ulster, so he's probably my closest friend there. Yeah. Um, John Andrew as well. I was at his wedding during the summer, so um I do see quite a few of these. Matty Ray as well. So I see quite a few of these guys. Um, but I'm planning to actually go over in, in a couple of months actually to, to go over and just to hopefully catch some of the, the later games um, before the season finishes. So I hope we to catch
0: up and catch a few of them for a beer. Yeah, okay, that's that's great that you're still you're still keeping in with those guys and uh following the progress. And okay, I think from a fans perspective, um we're all pretty excited about the guys coming through. Nathan Duke as well is another guy, um together with Hugh Lowry, like flip that's uh there's some raft of youngsters coming through there, but um, yeah, and in, in terms of your plans then after rugby, will it be coaching? Like, is that the next? Apart from noggin and pursuing your ambitions with that, growing and that, uh, are, are you gonna like pursue coaching as a as more of a full time thing now? Is that the idea? um potentially
1: i think it's something i'm interested in i think um yeah i'm not, i'm not too sure I'm in a transition stage in my life at the moment where i'm not too sure what exactly i want to do so i'm kind of putting my feelers out there to see what i'm interested in um obviously i have a very big interest in business no matter what it is i think running your own business is one of the most challenging things you can do i think you learn so much in the process you make so many mistakes so many failures but it's i've, I've always always found it really interesting so that's something i'm really passionate about so if I could combine the two, or maybe do a bit of both, um, that's probably my, my next next stage in my in my life. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well. I mean you've you've achieved a lot already and okay, I wish you luck with the the noggin stuff because it's it's a great cause and, and with the coaching as well because uh, you've you've plenty of experience you've probably about 10 years of experience of coaching already <laughs> behind yeah. you uh, and haven't even finished uh, so Why is the hair's not great <laughs> yeah, you know it seems like a stressful enough job but yeah. um, as you're saying like some people listen more than others particularly if you coach women's too that's, that's really yeah. interesting and is in the same team as well. That's oh right, okay. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, it just adds another level to it. Like they've done as a bit challenging. <laughs> yeah. uh, well here, Connor, thanks so much for your time. Uh so interesting to speak to you and inspiring to hear about all you're doing. So thanks again. And I'm sure people will love listening to that. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it.